George Kiefer Brewer was born on January 5, 1914, in Woolstock, Iowa, to Donald and Helen Brewer. His parents divorced shortly after he was born. Mother and son eventually made their way to California, where Helen met and married Frank Besselow in 1920. Frank adopted George, giving him his last name and a father figure for the next 15 years. George found a passion for boxing and athletics, but his mother was so worried that her son would be injured, forbade him to continue. Plus, after breaking his nose a few times, he took up acting and fell in love with the craft. Then, faster than a speeding bullet, he would be known as the most iconic, some would say the best, and certainly the most controversial superhero of all time. And then in 1959, after the world had fallen in love with George Reeves, Superman was dead. Welcome, my name is Elizabeth Bougere, and I'm that person when studying the many facets of history likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen, then, to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found in my bag of bones. The United States Treasury Department presents The Adventures of Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet. Whether or not he wanted it to happen, George Reeves is best known and loved for his role of the Man of Steel, Superman. The TV character, based on the DC Comics comic book character, created by Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster, and following the success of the comic book series, was heard in serials all over the radio, and then first introduced to the big screen as Kirk Allen donned the cape in the two 15-episode film serials for Columbia Studios in 1948. While George Reeves loved the idea of the role and took it seriously, being careful to live up to Superman's integrity when out in public, it began to feel stale and he longed for new things. But as others who have donned the cape and the letter S on their chest, including Kirk Allen before him, it was hard to break the typecast. He felt a sense of loss, feeling that his career was over knowing that casting directors were unable to look past his iconic character. He would never know the impact he would have for decades to come. When asked later in life if he felt that he had sold out by taking the role of Superman, he replied with, quote, How can a starving actor sell himself out? I wasn't doing anything when this chance came along. The way I look at it, a working actor is a good actor no matter what he's doing, end quote. 
but those noble views would falter as his role climbed higher and higher as being synonymous with George Reeves. His first love was the theater, and that's where he met his wife, fellow actor, Eleonora Needles. He participated in productions at the Pasadena Playhouse in California throughout the 1930s. George told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in an interview, quote, I went over to the community playhouse in Pasadena just to learn how to get on and off a stage. I wound up staying there for five years and became a Shakespearean actor. The movies seemed too far away, he says. We all had our eyes on Broadway, end quote. The Pasadena Playhouse was actually the starting grounds for many great actors, such as Dustin Hoffman, William Holden, and Gene Hackman. During one performance, he was spotted by a casting director who invited him to the Warner Brothers studio to audition for a screen test. He won the small part as one half of the Tarleton Brothers in the 1939 movie Gone with the Wind. This was his first film, but by the time it was actually released, George had four other movies under his belt. In order to be signed with Gone with the Wind cast, he had to agree to color his hair red, it was literally in his contract, and along with that, the studio decided that he needed to change his last name as well. The memorandum states, quote, the name George Besselow, who plays Brent Tarleton in Gone with the Wind, has been changed by Warner Brothers, to whom he is now under contract to George Reeves. End quote. The other brother in the movie, Fred Crane, and he became lifelong friends, and they encouraged one another throughout their Hollywood careers. Needles and Reeves married in 1940, and the marriage lasted for nine years, producing no children. Jim Nolt, the creator of the website devoted to Reeves and the Superman TV series, The Adventure Continues, says, Eleonora left him when they lost some money on an investment, and someone richer came along and, quote, swept her off her feet, end quote. She has said that she's not proud of that choice, and George was deeply hurt and chose to not speak of her after that. George was sure that Gone with the Wind was going to send the scripts to his door, but when they didn't, he returned to the Playhouse stage. He played minor roles at several of the movie studios running through a few contracts. He tried his hand at all types of movie roles, and all that was left were westerns. In his mind, he figured he knew his way around a horse that he might as well give it a shot. He says about his western movie days, quote, I did everything around that lot, and finally there was an opening in the Hopalong Cassidy leads. I became one of the trio which carries the pictures. It was fine. It was fun. End quote. And as if the story about how he got cast in Gone with the Wind wasn't interesting enough, the way he got started on Hopalong Cassidy films is pretty interesting too. It goes a little something like this. One of George's acting friend's father was a filmmaker for the Hopalong films. He wanted to cast his daughter in an upcoming role and needed her to do a screen test. He invited George to read with her. George is known for being able to memorize scripts quickly, so he and his friend Teddy decided to do the seven-page script in one take, no stopping. They pulled it off and impressed everyone. His friend got the part, and George landed a contract, which, in turn, led him to co-star with Claudette Colbert in So Proudly We Hail, his most popular and acclaimed film. Moved by the film, he decided to serve his country and enlisted in the army in early 1943. 
He enlisted under his own name and didn't mention his acting career at all. He said, quote, You know how people feel about actors. I didn't ask for special duty. I went right along with the others, end quote. But soon they discovered that he was an actor and asked if he would be interested in doing some acting work. He'd do his regular job during the day and then do a show at night. This went on for a while, and soon George mentioned, quote, It could have been all right, except that I couldn't do both jobs well. So I asked that I be assigned to either one, wherever they thought I'd fit best. But it was all strictly G.I., with no one getting any publicity, end quote. So George traveled around with the Entertainment Corps and performed in various shows. When George returned after his three years of service, he came home to a very different Hollywood. The movie industry had changed, and the studios were getting very stingy with contracts, so George essentially started over from before his success with So Proudly We Hail. He was only cast in bit parts and B-movies. In 1949, he was cast in the lead role in a low-budget serial from Columbia, The Adventures of Sir Galahad. The Reeves had fallen on financial hard times, so George took on the side work of digging cesspools. It all started when he needed his own cesspool dug out and offered to help the guy doing the job to save him some money. He didn't mind the work. He noticed that one of his neighbors was going to need his cesspool dug out as well, so he offered his services. In an interview with Long Beach Press-Telegram, he said, quote, I'm not one of these four-figures-a-week actors. Don't get me wrong, I'd like to be. I can live on what I make, if I work regularly. But when five months go by and no movie job comes up, you begin to worry a little, especially if you have a wife to support and a one-acre estate to pay for, end quote. This, however, is about the time that his wife he had to support failed. He needed a break, so he moved to New York for a brief time. There, he did some live television dramas and some radio programs, but when he was called back to Hollywood in April of 1951 to be cast in Rancho Notorious, he didn't think twice. Another supporting role came after that, but then the audition for the 1951 film Superman and the Mole Men, and he was cast as the Man of Steel himself. When he was first cast, he told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, quote, I said, Superman, what's that? I'd heard of the comic strip, but that's all I knew, end quote. The film turned into a 25-part series, which would turn into more several seasons. Television was still considered lowbrow at the time, beneath the dignity of movie stars, so George was feeling a little discouraged. His co-star Phyllis Coates, who played Lois Lane in the film and in the first season, had said that George sat down beside her and said, quote, Welcome to the bottom of the barrel, end quote. But in a matter of weeks, Superman became a household name. You've all survived history class. My history education was all about cramming dates and names and battles into my teenage brain in order to pass the newest test to make the school look good. I didn't really enjoy history until I was able to revisit it and see that history was made up of people, just like me. They had struggles, they had joy, they had sadness, and they felt victories. It became so very real to me. 
and now I'm on a mission to revisit as much history as I can. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Bougeret. I'm a full-time author and a full-time traveler, and I would love to share what I'm learning with you. Come with me. See my sights and stories as I go. I love history now, real history, not just the dates and battles, and I've discovered that others do too. So I've created a group in Facebook, and I'd love for you to join me on my travels and adventures. Let me reintroduce you to a history that's made up of people, places, adventures. I'll even throw in a few battles for good measure. If you love American history with a side of travel, I'm sure you'll enjoy this group. Join me over there. Search the Facebook groups for History Revisited, I'm the one with the blue feather, or type in historyrevisited.info in the search bar and then join in on the adventure. And so I can be sure to welcome you properly, be sure to say hello. In 1952, The Adventures of Superman aired on TV and the cast became instant celebrities. Jack Larson, who played Jimmy on the show, says, Within two weeks, I couldn't even eat at my favorite place. I had to be rescued by police. I was surrounded by fans. No one really believed that the show was going to amount to anything. They all went through the process and created the 25 episodes for the first season, but no one really thought that anyone would see it. Jack Larson tells a story where his agent advises him to just take the role because Jack had come from a serious background in theater as well and was anxious to get back to it, but his agent basically told him to, quote, take the money and run. It's most likely it won't go anywhere and you'll be back on Broadway in no time, end quote. The joke was on him because not only was the show a huge success, but all of the actors became typecast and forever tethered to their characters. The audience couldn't help themselves. The cast had an immediate chemistry and worked so well together, and the living room audiences couldn't get enough. They were just too good at their dead-end jobs. Phyllis Coates says of her co-star, George was just so funny to work with. It was hard to keep from laughing with George around, end quote. Jack Larson adds this story, laughing while he tells it, quote, My character Jimmy is tied to a chair with a bomb at his feet, knowing that as soon as the cameras start rolling, Superman was going to burst through the wall and save him. But moments prior to that, George would peek around the wall set and blow Jimmy kisses and wink, saying, Don't worry, Jimmy, I'm coming to save you. And of course, I broke character when Superman came through the wall. Of course I was laughing. It was so hard not to. End quote. But from the viewer's side of things, the first season of Superman was more of a crime drama than a comedy. It was an extension of the radio shows which were considered somewhat dark and violent. But at the end of the first season, and with the realization of their audience, some changes were about to be made. Phyllis Coates, who played Lois Lane in season one, was replaced by Noel Neal, who was the original Lois Lane in the radio serial. The show switched to color and quite a bit more family-friendly. George told the independent Long Beach newspaper, quote, Our idea is to give children good entertainment without all the guts, blood, and gore. We think the series should teach them something, too. That's why I decided to do this, end quote. 
As much as George complained about having to return to the monkey suit day in and day out, he really got into his role as a superhero that was faster than a speeding bullet and more powerful than a locomotive. He took it seriously and was careful to never drink or smoke where there were children present. He actually ended up quitting smoking. The drinking, not so much. That would plague him till the day he died. Literally, but more on that later. George Reeves came to life on the small screen and the people loved him. Reeves worked tirelessly to raise money for various charities, underprivileged kids, and even did a couple spots for the U.S. Treasury to remind kids to save their money and invest in government saving stamps. And every year at the end of the season, he would take his old Superman costumes and cut the S off the chest and send them to children in hospitals. Children suddenly wanted to be around Superman. Everywhere he went, kids would run up to him. They wanted to be Superman. Larson once commented, quote, We warned kids not to fly because kids were jumping out of windows. They'd tie a towel around their neck and try to fly, so George would say, Only Superman could fly. End quote. One story that's been around since I was a kid was that George would do personal appearances and loved having real time to spend with kids. But one afternoon at one of those appearances, a boy brought his dad's gun and was planning on shooting at George to see if he was the real Superman. The story goes that instead of George going crazy or running away, he convinced the boy to give him the gun because, sure, the bullets would bounce off his chest, but they might ricochet off his chest and harm someone else. The boy handed over the gun. I'm not sure if this is a true story or not, but it would explain why George never did public appearances in his Superman costume. He was always afraid that someone would try and shoot him, just to see what would happen. And for that reason also, even though George was an avid gun collector, he was adamant about not keeping live rounds in his house. Again, from the Post-Dispatch, he says, quote, The burden is not a light one. In fact, it's a frightening responsibility. I can never go into a bar or smoke a cigarette because Superman doesn't do those things. And I can't get into arguments in public. And like champion prize fighters, I'm always beset by some character who wants to boast that he took a poke at Superman. End quote. He was always a gentleman to everyone, Phyllis Coates would say. He would stand behind the camera making faces at the cast members to see if he could get them to break character. George tried to do most of his own stunts, including being wrapped in chicken wire to make it look like he was flying, until one afternoon the system broke and George fell into the studio floor 30 feet below. He determined never to do that stunt again, which is why you only see him leap into and back out of windows instead of any flying scenes. The hours were long, and he worked for low pay even though he was the star. He was only paid the weeks of production, which was only 13 out of a year, filming two episodes every six days. That's a lot of jumping off ladders, bouncing out of windows onto mattresses, busting through walls, being dropped out of flying rigs, and fighting the bad guys. But he loved it. His smile and charm were genuine, and he connected with his audience in the new-to-the-medium breaking of the fourth wall. Winking at his unseen audience or clever sideways glances, allowing the audience in on his little secret, really sealed the deal. 
George Reeves' biographer Jim Beaver once said, quote, He had an innate ability to take seriously something that kids took seriously, and at the same time connected to the audience in a way that let both children and adults feel like they were in on a secret. It was his persona that not only were we privy to the, his secret identity and all the other secrets that grew out of that dynamic, but that somehow or another we were connected to him and that he knew us. He knew we were out there and he made us feel like we were a member of the club that nobody else was privy to. There are a lot of other superheroes and TV heroes who don't have that. It's a gift that Reeves had that only a few actors are blessed with." End quote. The show was syndicated once ABC got on board and their fan base quadrupled. It was more expensive to shoot in color so they churned out fewer episodes, but now more than ever, George Reeves is Superman. After a few seasons, George started feeling the pressure, or perhaps feeling trapped would be more accurate. He longed for the stage. He longed for a new movie deal, and he wanted something different. Even though he had thousands of fans, and many more that hadn't even been born yet, he felt the slump in his career down to his soul, and knew that he was typecast as the superhero, and it soured his Superman legacy. George would say, quote, you have to get used to being laughed at, and they have to laugh at yourself a little. At first I wasn't too sure about doing the show, but any actor likes his own series, though it means identification with one character." Unquote. But he was also very aware that because of his opportunity to play the superhero, he may very well have been a B-movie actor for the rest of his days. He told a newspaper in Tennessee, quote, "...until I got my cape and badge of courage, I was never the height of success." End quote. In 1956, George Reeves made an appearance on the Perry Como show and was scheduled to sing a duet with Tony Bennett while playing his guitar. He was quick to point out to one journalist, quote, "You know, some people may not be aware of it, but I've done other things besides play Superman." End quote. In 1958, the Adventures of Superman ended its run, leaving the entire cast and crew out of a job. After 104 episodes, the Superman soundstage was going dark. George had high hopes for his future as he created his own show that he developed for television called Port of Entry. This was going to be his new beginning. He already knew that he would have trouble finding work. He is Superman, after all. So he created his own production company, wrote the pilot script, and plotted out the first season. He had begun an interest in directing, actually taking the helm in the last season for a few episodes, and was looking to direct his new creation. He mentioned to the Meridian Journal, quote, I took over as director on the last 13 Superman segments we made last fall. I did it as sort of a chance, but I was surprised to find out how much I knew. I suppose you ought to absorb some knowledge after being in the business as long as I have. Now I'm enthused about doing more." End quote. Unfortunately, he soon realized his dreams of directing would flounder when he could find no one interested in sponsoring his production. His professional career looked a shambles. He was a 45-year-old typecast actor with no prospects in sight. And when we pull back the curtain into his private life, things are not offering much more hope. 
Hello, listeners. I'm Katie. And I'm Amber. And we are two hosts on Save Me an Aisle Seat. A show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. If you like musicals or theater in general, or if you're interested in them but don't know where to start, we'd love to help introduce you. Come find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. And we'll be sure to save you an aisle seat. After Eleonora Needles Reeves left George in 1949-1950, George was a single man in Hollywood. He became involved with Tony Maddox, a woman eight years his senior, and their secret yet widely known affair had begun in 1951. Nancy Schroenberger, the co-author of the Hollywood Kryptonite book, said in an interview, quote, George's ten-year relationship with Tony Maddox was an open secret in Hollywood. She had an open arrangement with her husband that would allow her to go after what she wanted. Her husband, Eddie Maddox, was an important guy at MGM. He was the vice president, end quote. Tony adored George. She bought him his home and a roadster, paid off his liquor bill every month, and lovingly referred to him as the boy. As George's love affair for Superman waned, so did he for Tony. The same year that the show canceled, 1958, George broke off his affair with Tony Maddox and traded her in for a 20-year younger model, New York's socialite Lenore Lemon. She was a firecracker, a heavy drinker, and did not have the best of reputations, but George didn't care. He would say, quote, she's beautiful and she makes me feel young again, end quote. George's friend Jean LaBelle had mentioned that George would say, quote, look, I love the woman. If she wanted to light her cigarette with a $100 bill, I'd give her the $100 bill, end quote. He then added, quote, she's not the kind of person you'd want to fall in love with. She's the kind of person that wants to run your life, end quote. And incidentally, George didn't have spare $100 bills to light up. He was regularly living beyond his means and was struggling with his finances around every turn. He was floundering. And with no new movie roles or directing offers, things were looking pretty bleak. When he ended his relationship with Tony, she was beyond heartbroken. Then she was furious. And then George announced his engagement to Lenore. She harassed George and called his home several times every day, and finally he had to file a restraining order against her. And, as sometimes life does, as quickly as things slipped away, they were beginning to turn around. ABC and Warner Brothers announced that they were going to develop a new season of Superman, and they offered George more money per episode, more creative input, a promise that scripts would return to more of a serious crime show modeled after the first season, and George would take on more directing responsibilities. And, as a cherry on top, the whole cast had been called back. George was, as his manager Art Weissman called it, living big. And Superman would once again save him. But not only that, he was scheduled for a televised boxing match, and he was looking forward to the television audience to see his athletic skills not including a cape. To me, this sounds like when stars take part in the Dancing with the Stars type show, but it made him happy and gave him something to look forward to. He allowed several crews to film him as he tumbled in his backyard and shaped up for the big fight. 
With Superman returning to television, it created a new publicity tour because the rights had just included Australia as part of the new syndication, and there were thousands of new fans ready to meet the Man of Steel. George and Lenore had planned on piggybacking the publicity tour on the tail end of their honeymoon. Things were looking up. His relationship with Lenore Lemon was a bit precarious, though, because they fought constantly. And while publicly the engagement was in full swing, in private, George admitted to close friends that he wasn't so sure. And then on June 16, 1959, it all came to a screeching halt. George Reeves was dead. A gunshot through his temple ended his life. The newspaper headlines blared in bold letters, Superman is dead. Superman commits suicide. TV Superman, out of work, kills himself. The police ruled his death a suicide and quickly closed the case after only seven days. It wasn't long before rumors and debate surfaced that perhaps it was murder. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but do you know that Ragtag Network has its own merch? You can get merch for your favorite shows such as Bag of Bones, Save Me an Isle Seat, or Total Tomfoolery. Just visit www.ragtagnetwork.com now to check things out. The debate and controversy of the death of George Reeves rages on even though the mystery can never be solved. The body has long since been cremated and the players have long since passed away. The night of his death, all that were in Reeves' homes were beyond inebriated, so much so that the police had difficult time getting straight answers from their questioning, but they all held to the same story. George had gone to bed while uninvited guests partied downstairs. He donned a robe and came down to complain, but inevitably joined them in a few rounds of drinks, and then, pouting, went back to his bed. They heard one gunshot and when neighbor William Bliss ran up to check on him, he was dead. George Reeves lay upstairs in his bedroom as if he had been sitting on the edge of his bed just prior, a gunshot to his head, gun laying between his feet, the bullet casing under his body. Yes, you heard right, under his body. That's only one of many discrepancies. And of course, there are two schools of thought, suicide and murder. Even though new evidence kept surfacing, nothing encouraged the authorities to reopen the case and it remains closed, citing death by suicide. In the defense of team suicide, screenwriter Rip Von Ronkel blames The Hollywood Life by saying, quote, George Reeves had been unhappy because everyone thought of him as Superman, not as an actor. George was not a weak man, but he was soft and sensitive, and this jungle we live in out here killed him. They couldn't make a buck off him anymore, so they discarded him. End quote. Side note, his wife Carol was at the house with another man, William Bliss, also a married man, on the night of the death. Many have accepted that George was just tired of the game and he wanted to end it all. On the night of his death, his fiancée Lenore Lemon quipped, quote, He's probably going upstairs to kill himself, end quote, giving the indication that he had threatened the act before. On the side of team murder, Jack Larson is unwavering in his belief that he did not take his own life, and he and Noel Neal have spent many of their post-Superman years defending their theory, but also reminding people of his legacy and his bright and brilliant personality. 
Reeves' manager, Art Weissman, has been outspoken by saying, quote, I was told his death was a suicide by self-inflicted gunshot wound, and I said, I didn't believe it, end quote. He believed that it was murder because, while George liked to collect guns, he did not ever want live ammunition in his house. Weissman has said he was not a believer of live ammunition in the guns in the house because there had been parties in the house before, and he didn't like the fact that anyone could pick up one of the guns, end quote. He then added, quote, The fact that there was live ammunition in one of those guns is a problem, end quote. In my research of both sides, it was easy to see how both could come to their conclusions. However, there were just too many pieces missing. And, perhaps like many of you, I fall into the true crime craze and am, of course, a CSI graduate. The original, thank you very much. My armchair detective skills were crying foul. So, instead of trying to sway you in one direction or another, I'll list some of the factors of the case and let you ponder. In no particular order, here are some of the curiosities surrounding the case in the death of George Reeves. No fingerprints were found on the gun. No powder burns were found on the body. The body was taken to the mortuary before the coroner, meaning the body was washed clean and prepared prior to an autopsy. This is not the usual practice. It's supposed to be the other way around. There were five bullet casings, one under his body, and two additional bullet holes in the floor. The bullets that entered his temple and exited the other side was found in the ceiling behind him. There was bruising on his face and chest. Fiance Lenore Lemon returned to the home the following day, breaking through the police tape and going into the home. There she removed food from the fridge, bottles of alcohol, and $4,000 worth of traveler's checks purchased by Reeves meant to be used on their honeymoon. The day following, she caught a plane to New York and never returned, not even to attend the memorial service of her fiancé. No photos were taken of the crime scene. No one was brought in for questioning after the night of his death, nor was anyone questioned individually or fingerprinted. The police were pressured to work quickly to make an open-and-shut case. Art Wiseman believes this pressure came from Eddie Maddox, the husband of Tony Maddox, to attempt to keep his wife's name out of the scandal. In his will, Reeves leaves everything to Tony Maddox. Days after the murder, Tony Maddox and Jack Larson go to the home. Jack had to leave the home and wait in the car, emotionally distraught. And when Tony emerged, she leaned her head against the seat of the car, and Jack says that she said, quote, I never believed my love affair would have turned into tragedy, end quote. And finally, experts say in order for the gunpowder not to have burned the skin, the gun would have to have been fired from a foot and a half away. If his body had been sitting on the edge of the bed and shot in the temple, it would have most likely fallen forward and not back onto the bed as he was found. And finally, the angle of the shot to the head indicated that his head was tilted in a way that the single bullet caused the skull to crack like an egg. George Reeves lives on in Superman reruns. Somewhere in the world, an episode of The Adventures of Superman is showing right now. 
I wish I knew if I had any adult fans he had once mentioned to a crew member. He did. He did, and then the children that watched him grew up to be the adults that introduced their children to him. It's sad that he couldn't have lived long enough to see how important his role was in the baby years of television. The creation of the television series, the invention of a superhero, live and in person, and the pride of being an American, instilling the values of truth, justice, and the American way, and also that people are people. The impact he had on thousands and thousands of children everywhere with new fans being added regularly. And hopefully, maybe even adding a few more of you, oh youthful listeners of Bag of Bones, being introduced to Superman, George Reeves style. The Superman who showed others how it's done. Oh, that's right, I said it. Meet me over at the Bag of Bones Facebook page to defend your Superman. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougere with research by Anna Krunkeberg. Produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited. Music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougere.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougere and DCT Enterprises.